67 through 64. And the word of God says, you are my portion, Lord. I have promised to obey your words. I've sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I have considered my ways and have turned my steps toward your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. The earth is filled with your love, Lord. Teach me your decrees. So there's a verse there in that second to last verse where he says, I'm a friend to all who fear you. And then he tells us what that means. He says, to all who follow your precepts. So to fear the Lord is to obey the Lord. That's what David is trying to tell us or whoever wrote this psalm. I think it was David, but whoever wrote that psalm, that's what they're trying to tell us. To fear the Lord is to obey the Lord. And this whole entire psalm is about being obedient to the Lord's commands, doing what the Lord tells us to do so that we can receive blessing through that. So think about that as you go throughout your week this week. So we're going to sing some songs, but first let's pray the Lord's prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship. running after me and all my life you have been 
Morning. When I think that God, his son, Notchberry, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on that cross, by burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. As we gather around the table this morning, preparing our hearts for communion, feel free to let your soul sing how great thou art how great thou art let's pray father thank you so much for sharing your son with us and it's in his precious name that we pray amen Now is the time in the service for announcements. In the foyer, um, there are plastic bins. Um, they look to be overflowing at this point <laughs> for um, pill bottle donations for Matthew 25 Ministries, as well as used ink cartridges. If you have questions about either of those, um, you can see myself or Carol. Food Pantry Closed Closet is now every Thursday from 5 to 7 p.m. Um, I just want to say, I think Linda testified to it last week, but um, in the last two weeks, we've had 25 families come in. Again, it's, we're, this is not, we're not happy about families having to come in and have a need. It's probably very difficult for them to come in, um, but we are happy that we are able to supply those needs, and so we just thank God for that. Women's Bible Study Empty Nesters uh, meeting on Thursdays at 10 a.m. Uh, at Ruth Liming's house. And free dance fitness class called Refit Revolution on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 6.30 to 7.30 right here in the sanctuary. If you have any questions about that, you can
can talk to Kristen. This is something new we have out on the welcome table for signups, Mellon Ridge Nursing Home Church Ministry. The fourth Sunday of the month at 2 p.m. starting May 22nd, we will be offering a church service at Mellon Ridge. It will be about 45 minutes to an hour. We'll have some singing, we'll have um, some preaching, and just some time for prayer. If you're interested in um, serving in that, you don't have to sign up every single um, month. It could, you could just say, hey, this month I want to do it, next month I don't. That's fine. We just want to see how much interest everyone is going to have. So sign up on that welcome, on the welcome table, and we'll probably take a team of about eight people, maybe ten, um, and it's going to be a trial run the first time we go, so we'll have to just kind of see how it goes. But we're very excited to be able to offer them a church service with COVID. They've not had anything. They're super excited to have someone come in. They really wanted a church to come in once a week. We're going to commit to once a month for now and see how we can do. But we're super excited to bring the Lord into the nursing home for them. Tithes and offerings can be placed in the offering box in the back of the sanctuary. Thank you so much. Got to turn the mic on. It doesn't work without it. All right, so today we're going to be in Psalm uh, 8. Psalm 8. Just turn together our Bibles to Psalm 8. <clears throat> we're going to read the entire Psalm. Psalm 8, 1 through 9. Turn together in our Bibles, and then when you get there, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is God's Glorious Nature. God's Glorious Nature. In Psalm 8, 1 through 9, the scriptures say, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. For the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You may be seated. And when you look out at the earth and the heavens, what do you see? Do you see something that's happened by chance over millions of years? Or do you, like David, see the magnificence of God? And how does creation make you see yourself? Do you see yourself as insignificant compared to the hugeness of the heavens? Or do you see yourself as one of the most significant parts of God's creation? Now, in this psalm, David contemplates God and God's work in creation, the earth, the heavens, and human beings. And David shows us how God's creation reveals God's glorious nature. That's what we're going to talk about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we study your word, give us the spirit of wisdom and understanding so that we may know you better. Help us not only hear your word, but to put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. So David starts and ends this psalm with the same thought. He says in verse 1 and in verse 9, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. When David talks about the magnificence of the Lord's name, he's drawing our attention to God's glorious nature. David says that God's glory and majesty so saturate the earth that we cannot help but see the Lord's nature in his creation. At the end of verse 1, David says to the Lord, you have covered the heavens with your majesty. So when we look at the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, the vastness of space, well, we get a glimpse of who God is and what God is like. 
The heavens speak to us about God's glorious nature. As David says in Psalm 19, 1 through 4, the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There there are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. Now, we've all heard the expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. And that's what David is talking about. He says that though the heavens never say a word, the heavens still speak, giving us a clear picture of what God is like. The heavens are like a preacher proclaiming God. Night and day, they communicate the same message to the whole earth. They reveal the truth about God's glorious nature. Among other things, God's creation shows us that God is creative, that God is powerful, that God is immeasurable. God's creation shows us that God likes beauty, God likes order, and God is a good God, lavishing bountiful blessings on his creation. And we can learn all of this about God just by looking at God's creation. And God's creation says so much about him that we have to be willfully ignorant to deny God's existence. And this is why I believe there are no true atheists and there are no true agnostics. So atheists say there is no God. Agnostics say it's impossible for humans to know for sure that God exists. Well, the Bible claims, and I claim, nonsense, right? People who claim to be atheists and people who claim to be agnostics are just not being honest. Because the truth is, every reasonable person knows that God exists. Every reasonable person can be sure God exists. And how is this? Well, God's fingerprints are all over his creation. You can't miss it. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 1.20. He says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. How is this? Being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. See, nobody has any excuse to say that they don't believe in God or that they don't know what God is like or if God exists or not. Because we can clearly see the stamps of God's power, God's divine nature, all over his creation. So people who claim to be atheists or agnostics are not being honest with themselves, and they're not being honest with the facts. Because we can know God exists and know what God is like by looking at the creation. So with all that in mind, let me give you a piece of advice. And this is going to save you a lot of time and a lot of frustration. Never argue with people who claim to be atheists or who claim to be agnostics. You don't have to say a word, right? Instead, take them outside. Don't say anything at all. Just point to the creation. Point to the heavens and let the heavens pour out their speech. Let the heavens proclaim the work of God's hands. Let the heavens communicate their knowledge because the heavens speak of God's glorious nature. But the heavens are not alone. There's another part of God's creation that speaks of God's glorious nature. In Psalm 8:2, David says to the Lord, from the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries. Now, other translations quote the Greek version of the Old Testament here, which says, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. So God has set up a stronghold or a fortress of defense against his enemies. And God's defense against his enemies are the praises of the weakest among us. And notice at the end of Psalm 8 too, what the praise of children and infants does to God's enemies. David says, God established the stronghold through the praises of children in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. God uses the praise of the seemingly weak to stop the mouths, to put to silence his strongest enemies. So when the weakest among us proclaim the praises of God, the mouths of God's enemies are silenced. And here David teaches us a principle about praise that I'm not sure that we understand. Praise is one weapon we can use to silence Satan's attacks against us. It's not just the praises of children that will silence the enemy. Through your praise and through my praises, Satan is silenced. 
God has chosen praise as a means of defense against our enemy. Praise is like a fortress we can flee to and a place of, as a place of protection when the enemy attacks. And this is why Satan works so hard to stop us from praising the Lord. Satan loves it, loves it when we're silent. He wants to stop us from singing and shouting to the Lord. He wants to stop us from clapping our hands in praise to the Lord. See, the enemy hates the praises of God's people because Satan knows when we praise the Lord, the Lord rises up and fights for his people. He did it for his people at Jericho in Joshua 6. He did it for his people in 2 Chronicles 20. He did it for Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. And he will do the same for us. There's something about our praise that causes the Lord to rise up and defend his people. And we may not understand why or how that works, but we don't need to understand why or how it works. We just need to praise the Lord and then sit back and watch as God comes to our defense to destroy our enemies. So when Satan comes against us, let's overcome him by praising the Lord. Let's flee to the fortress of praise. When Satan tries to tempt us, we can overcome him by praising the Lord. When Satan tries to shake our faith, we can overcome him by praising the Lord. And no matter what Satan sins against us, we should praise the Lord for his protection. Praise the Lord for his salvation. Praise the Lord for his victory even before that victory comes. So when you and I praise the Lord, our enemy will be silenced. God will fight for us in God's glorious nature will be revealed through our praises. Now, David moves from talking about the praises of children back to talking about the heavens. In Psalm 8, 3 through 4, David says, When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? So something about seeing the massiveness, the hugeness of the heavens can make us feel like nothing by comparison. It can make us ask like David, what am I compared to that? David says that the heavens, which are so spacious, are the work of God's fingers. I mean, David doesn't even mention God's whole hand, just his fingers. And I believe David does this to draw our attention to the fact that these things that seem so massive to us, the sun, the moon, the stars, space itself, the things that look so big to us, or small stuff to God, something he's put together with his fingers. In another psalm, David says that the Lord simply spoke and these things came into existence. Psalm 33, 6, David says, the heavens were made by the word of the Lord and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. And this is phenomenal power, power that our minds cannot even begin to comprehend. The Lord simply spoke and the heavens were made. With one breath from the Lord's mouth, all the stars were formed. And thinking about the immensity and the majesty of the heavens and the God who created these things prompts David to ask the Lord, considering the greatness and glory of the heavens, what are human beings compared to that? Why would you even care about us? And David's answer to that question is the most important part of this psalm because it shows us the infinite worth God has placed on human beings. So in comparison to the massiveness in the, of the heavens, humans can seem insignificant, at least in our own eyes, right? But David reminds us to look at ourselves through the Lord's eyes. See, to the Lord, human beings are far more significant than anything we see in creation. Listen to this amazing truth that the Lord reveals through David in Psalm 8.5. He says, you made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. So David says the Lord made him, and by that he means mankind. God made humans little less than God. Now, if you look down at your translation, it likely says he made him a little lower than the angels. And the reason for this difference is because the Christian Standard Bible, which I was just quoting from, is following the Hebrew text of the Old Testament, while most other translations follow the Greek text of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint. And it seems the person who translated Psalm 8 from Hebrew to Greek thought David's words here were just a little bit too strong. So he softened it a little bit. 
And instead of translating Elohim, which is the Hebrew word for God, instead of translating Elohim as Theos, which is the Greek word for God, well, the translator chose to translate Elohim as Angelus, which is the Greek word for angels. But the better translation here is God. And here's why I say that. In Genesis 1, 26 to 27, the scriptures say this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. The God created human beings in his image, in his likeness. Therefore, human beings are made a little less than God. There's nothing else in all of creation that holds this privileged position. Human beings were created to bear God's image and God's likeness. And I need to point out something that needs to be spoken loud and clear into the confusion of our current culture. God only created two categories of human beings. God made them male and female. And those two categories are defined by internal and external physical characteristics. In other words, our DNA and our sexual organs determine whether we are male or female. And it's a sad day when a preacher has to stand up and remind everybody of this, right? But this is where we are. The truth of God's word shows us that God created male and female. And as we just saw in Genesis, the scriptures teach us that the differences between male and female are fundamental to human nature. And our differences as male or female also, in some mysterious way, reflect the image of God. And this truth shows us that every human life, whether it's male or female, every person has equal worth in the eyes of God. And every person should have equal worth in our eyes because every person is created in God's image. And by creating us in his image, David says that God crowns humanity with glory and with honor. And those two words, glory and honor, are most often used in the scriptures in reference to God. And the word honor can also be translated majesty. So what David is saying here is that God crowned humans with glory and majesty by creating us a little less than himself, by creating us in his image and his likeness. In other words, God gave glory and majesty to humanity by making us like him. Nothing else in all creation is like God or can become like God. God gave glory and majesty to humanity by making us like him, by enabling us to reflect his nature to the rest of creation. See, that was God's plan for humanity. All of humanity bearing God's image, being like God and ruling God's creation with God. But here's the problem with humanity. The image and the likeness of God in humanity has been spoiled by sin. The fall of Adam and Eve did not erase God's image or his likeness from humanity, But ever since that dreadful day in the garden, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, ever since the fall, well, the image and the likeness of God in humanity has been stained by sin. And then Adam and Eve passed this stained image on to the rest of humanity. And this is the main reason that God's son came to the earth. Through the incarnation, the divine son of God united his divine nature with our human nature so that he could recreate humanity in himself. So that through our union with Jesus, humanity can bear the image and the likeness of God as a part of a new creation. Jesus came so that we could be born again. So that reborn humans can reflect the unstained image and likeness of God once again. As Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14, From the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, listen to this, so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. For too many of us, salvation is just about forgiveness, just about missing hell when we die. The Lord has much greater plans for us than that. The Lord wants us to share in the glory of Christ. God called us to salvation. God called us to believe the truth. God called us to sanctification by the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Christ. Why? 
so that we might obtain the glory of Jesus. And that glory includes the glory of God's image, God's divine nature in each and every one of us. And through his incarnation, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his pouring out the gift of the Holy Spirit, Christ began the work of restoring his character in all of us, restoring us to our former glory of bearing the unstained image of God. And this is now the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But all of us who reflect the Lord's glory with an unveiled face are being transformed into his own image from one degree of glory to another. This too is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit takes us from one degree of glory to another, making us more and more Christ-like. Day by day as we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit of God is transforming us and conforming us to the glorious image of God's Son. He's restoring the image and the likeness of God in us by making us like the Lord Jesus. And oh, I wish how we could all grab a hold of this truth, right? The church is supposed to be a community of reborn, recreated human beings who are becoming like God as we share in the life-transforming power of the divine nature through our union with the Son of God. Christians are supposed to be God's image bearers to the world. And we're supposed to show the world what God's glorious nature is like by being like Jesus in the world. And it's so important that we remember we cannot do this without God's grace. See, this is what led to the disaster of the fall. Adam and Eve wanted to be like God apart from God. But the only way any of us will truly be like God is through God's grace, through God's grace empowering and transforming us to live like him. And that's how God designed us. That's God's purpose for creating us, and that's God's purpose for recreating us in Christ. It's so that through God's grace, we can live like Christ and bear the image and the likeness of God. So let's let this truth soak into our souls. As majestic as the rest of God's creation is, or you and me, as one commentator, one commentator said, we humans are the crown jewel of God's creation. God showed us our infinite worth when he crowned human beings with glory and majesty by making us a little less than himself. And if that were not enough, well, David goes on in Psalm 8, 6 through 7 to tell us one more way God shows humanity our worth. David says of mankind, you made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild. The birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. So God created humanity to rule over his creation with him. And though the first Adam lost that for us through his sin, well, the last Adam, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, came to regain what was lost so that a new humanity can rule over a new creation with the Lord Jesus Christ as our head. That's what all of God's children are destined for. You know, one day we will rule over God's new creation with Christ. When Christ returns and recreates the earth, those of us who have been united with Christ and who have been transformed by God's grace into the image and likeness of Christ, we will rule over the works of God's hands with Jesus. And this is exhilarating stuff, stuff that you all don't seem to be too excited about, but stuff that is the truth that we've hardly ever heard in the church, right? We're destined to rule a recreated earth with the Lord Jesus Christ and God's eternal kingdom forever. And that should compel us to get us motivated to enthusiastically serve the Lord. That should help us to strive daily to bear God's image well, to cast off the passing things of this world, to live free from sin, to live righteous lives, to strive to become more and more like Christ so that through our lives, God's glorious nature will be revealed to the world. As we close this psalm invites us to take a long look at God's glorious nature as revealed in creation. We see it in the majesty of the heavens. We hear it as the heavens speak of God's glory and his people praise the Lord. But most of all, God's glorious nature is revealed in the glory and the majesty of human beings. 
God crowned human beings with glory and majesty by creating us in his image and his likeness to rule over the works of his hands. And though those things were spoiled and slipped away from the first Adam because of his sin, God recreated humanity in Christ, the last Adam, so that through our union with Christ, we can share in his divine nature, become like Christ, and with Christ, rule over a new creation when Christ comes again. And when we think about those truths, what we cannot help but exclaim with David in Psalm 8, 9, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. Let's all stand for prayer. Father, we thank you for revealing your glorious nature to us through your creation. We thank you most of all for sharing your glory and majesty with us by making us in your image. Lord, help each and every one of us, your children, to bear your image and likeness well. Give us the grace to live in this world like Christ lived. And in doing that, we will show the world your glorious nature as you live through us. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to sing another song. I want to um, invite you, if you want to pray while we sing this song, you're welcome to do that. Come forward. There will be people up here to pray with you. Uh, if you have a question about anything, they'll, they'll be here to answer that as well. If you need healing, we would like you to come forward and we'll uh, anoint you with oil and uh, pray over you in the name of the Lord. I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over you all, then we're going to sing another song. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name.